we go. Now it's going. I needed that last song. I don't know about you, but I felt like I was living that first couple verses this whole week. Anyone else? Yeah. Um, Genesis chapter 15 this morning. Last week, I encouraged you to vote, and I hope that you did. And uh, I want to encourage you to do something else this week. And this may seem like this makes no sense based on what you said last week, Pastor Dan. Okay? Just bear with me, okay? I, voted, I, I encourage you to vote last week, but this week I want to tell you, do not put confidence in anybody that you voted for. Okay? Don't, don't gloat because your, your guy or your girl won, and don't be depressed because your guy or girl lost. Guess what? God's still in control. And the last thing we need is a bunch of mopey people running around because my guy didn't get in office. And the last thing we certainly need is somebody gloating because their guy did get in. Psalm 20 says this, some trust in chariots, some in horses, we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. And you know what? The week after an election, that's a very real verse. I come back to the words of Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel when after he was humiliated, and you remember his humiliation that God did with him, he said this, he, God, does according to his will among the host of the heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and that's where I have to rest. God's going to get his will done. You and I are not going to get in the way of it. We're, we're not going to keep God from getting his will done. I don't care who's in the White House. They're not going to stop God. Believe me, the last couple election cycles we've tried, but it's not going to thwart God's purposes. It's not going to thwart God's purposes. So, consider yourself encouraged this morning. Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. Last week, we saw this incredible declaration in verse 6 that Abram believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. And, and I, just, I want to just remind us of that because I, I just want you to let it sink in. What grace, what grace that those who are completely unrighteous can be declared righteous by an all-powerful and good and loving God. That's just grace, is it not? That we can be declared righteous. That we can have Christ's righteousness imputed to our account. So today, as we follow through through the rest of the chapter, we're going to see what God does now. After, after giving this incredible gift to Abram, this gift of righteousness, what does God do? God makes a covenant with Abram. God makes an agreement with, with Abram. We're going to see the word covenant in the, in the verses that we, we read today. And, and when we see that word covenant, when you see it in Scripture, we, even, we even read about it in Psalm 55 this morning. Notice David's main complaint was, or the psalmist's main complaint was, this man broke his covenant with me. We're going to see God making a covenant here. The word covenant implies relationship. It, it implies and it emphasizes a word that I'm going to make up here this morning, betweenness. What goes on between two parties, that, that word covenant emphasizes that. It's a very relational word. To have a covenant, you have to have two parties. Now, if you live in certain neighborhoods and you have a homeowner's association, you have a covenant, right? And that covenant, for the most part, is stupid, right? 
<laughs> Can't build your fence this high. You got to, you know, paint your house these colors, whatever, okay? If you signed up for that, you got to live by it. Just go live out in the country somewhere where you can do whatever you want, right? We as a church have a covenant. That's not stupid. It's something that as members we agree to. It's, it's our betweenness. It's what we agree on. And when you read our covenant, hopefully you've come to this realization. It's nothing but Scripture. It's pretty much the one another's of Scripture that we've put together and formed. Those are the things that we're supposed to agree on. But God makes covenants, and throughout history, God has made covenants with people, with man. In Genesis chapter 9, we see God making a covenant with Noah. After he destroys the earth with the flood, God makes a covenant, and here's what he says, I will never, ever destroy the earth again with a flood. You can count on that every spring, even though it seems like we're about to get flooded out, God's not going to destroy us with a flood. He made a covenant with David, and the covenant with David was a covenant that he said, your, your ancestry is going to stay on the throne forever. And, and, and we're going to see that realized in the end times. He made a covenant with Moses. We call it the Mosaic Covenant, where he had given his law and he established, he established his, his law for his people, Israel. In the book of Jeremiah, we see a covenant promised called the New Covenant. And it's mediated by Jesus himself. But here in Genesis chapter 15 this morning, we're going to see God make a covenant with Abram. And it's an incredible covenant, and it's a credible detail, and, and the particulars of this covenant are, are so cool, I just was absolutely loving it this week when I was studying this. But all I want to do is read Genesis chapter 15, beginning in verse 7. We're going to read through the end of the chapter. <clears throat> it's got great names in it again. We're going to get to say all those ites names at the end of this chapter, okay? So follow along with me as I read Genesis chapter 15, verse 7, and he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out, of, out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you... You shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a, in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I will give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Lots of ites, right? All right. Would you pray with me this morning? Loving and gracious God. 
God who we just sang about, you, you are our healer. You are our joy. You are the one that when all of life seems to be falling apart, <clears throat> that we can be confident that you are still there for us because you're a covenant-keeping God. We, we turn to you this morning. We turn to you and your word this morning because we are a needy people. We are not good covenant keepers. We're good covenant breakers. But you are a faithful God. And so this morning, we ask that you would open our eyes to see amazing, wonderful things from your law. That you would deal bountifully with us that, that we may live and keep your word. And that as we sojourn on this earth, that you would please not hide your commandments from us. Make them readily apparent for our eyes that are dim this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, God announces that he's going to do something here. He says, he says to Abram, look at verse 7, he comes to me, he says, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans. And as Abram is thinking back, He's thinking through all these things that, that he's been through, and God kind of reminds him of, of his journey from Ur of the Chaldeans, and, and he's thinking back to chapter 12 and verse 7, which we covered earlier, where when he traveled through the land that God was going to show him, he received a promise from God where God said, one day your offspring is going to have this land. It was just a promise at that point, but it was a pretty good promise. And as, and as Abram then kept on going, in chapter 13, we saw this, that the promise had to be reiterated again. God came to Abram and he said, by the way, be reminded, I'm giving you this land. Then we saw last week in chapter 15 and verse 4, every time that God comes and talks about this, the details get a little bit bigger and they get a little more detailed and they get a little more exciting to Abram. Remember, last week we saw this. It's not just your offspring, Abram. You're going to have a son. You're going to have a son, your own son. He's going to come from you and, the, and your offspring are, and, and your descendants are going to be like the stars. And then God makes this statement, I am the Lord, I am the mighty Jehovah, I, I am the all-powerful one who brought you out of the land of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. It's an interesting phrase, and in fact, when you fast forward through history, you will find God making a very similar statement to his people the, the, the promised people, the, the Jews, when he brings them and he says this, I am the Lord God who brought you out of Egypt to this land. God's about to make something really big here. But before he can even announce what he's going to do here, Abram has a question. <laughs> Abram has a question. How many of you, just be honest with me, how many of you believe the promises of God? How many of you at times, though, really want a little more information? How many of you would like just a little more information, just something else that I can just hold on to just a little bit, right? Isn't that what happened with Gideon? Isn't that what happened with Gideon? We give Gideon all this grief because he fleeced the Lord. Tell me if you were there, you wouldn't have done the same thing. You want me to do this with this group of people? And here's Abram 
who has been faithfully and sometimes not so faithfully following God. He's been in this land that's been promised to him. He's heard about it three or four times. I'm going to give this to you. And then God says, I am the Almighty One who brought you out. And, give you, and then he's like, excuse me. Oh, Lord God. It's a humble statement. Oh, Lord God. You know, Master, I'm your servant. How do I, how do I really know that I'm going to possess it? Because we believe the promises of God, right? Church, we believe the promises of God, right? But when life gets really tough, when, when, when the way gets hard, when, when there's difficulties upon difficulties upon us, when, when the kids are sick all night and they've been like sick for five months in a row, when, when the job just becomes so hard and the boss becomes jerkier than ever, it's really easy to doubt, is it not? Just, if you could just show me just a little bit more here, God. And that's what Abram's doing here. He's not being disrespectful. He's not, this is a faith-filled question. I believe you, but I just want to know a little bit more here. This is not like what John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, did. Remember Zechariah, whenever God announced to him, hey, you're going to have a son, and Zechariah's like, yeah, right. Tell me how that's going to happen. How will I know this? Like, okay, God. No, that's not what this is. this is. This is more like, think of King Hezekiah when he asked for the shadow on the sundial to move one hour backward. Abram's just asking for a sign for a little more information for something to hang on to. And, and, and here's what I take from this. And this isn't the main point this morning, but I want you to get this. I want you to absolutely understand this. There are times... When it gets really hard, the journey gets really hard, and it seems like all we're doing is walking by faith and not by sight, and every once in a while it would be nice to just have one little section of the road that we could walk by sight in, right? It's not wrong to humbly go to God and say, God, can you, can you just give me something to hang on to? Can you just give me something to hang on to? What I've found in my life is when I've prayed that way, it, it, God usually just smacks me between the eyes with a verse or two of Scripture. And it's like, okay, I get it. Yeah, good. And here Abram is. He's just asking for a little more information. And what's God do? God in his grace. <laughs> if we've seen one thing about God through our study of Genesis is, is that God is a gracious, good God. What does God do in his grace? He said to him, verse 9, hey, gather some, gather some farm animals together. <laughs> gather some livestock here. Get some things together here for me. He's having Abram prepare for a ceremony here. Verses 9 through 11 are are Abram's preparing for a ceremony. This would have been something that Abram would have witnessed before, not with these animals, but he would have probably had done this or seen his father do this because it was customary in Mesopotamia where Abram was from that whenever you made a business deal, let's just say I'm going to enter into a business deal. I don't know. Denny, I'm going to enter into a business deal with Denny. And he and I are going to make a peace treaty, okay? I'm not going to bother Denny. Denny's not going to bother me. Our herdsmen are going to stay far apart. And in fact, we're going to share some land. We're going to share, we're even sharing the proceeds and some stuff. The way that we would seal that covenant was, was that one of us would produce a donkey. Yeah, a donkey. 
And what we would do is we would literally cut the donkey in half. Not half like front legs and back legs. I'm talking in half. Okay? And we would divide that thing in half and we would, okay, go ahead and say it with me. That's just gross. Go ahead. It's really gross, right? And it's a lot of work, right? We'd cut that thing in half. We would, we would flay it out. Okay? And then we would do something to signify that, that we were agreeing in this. We would go together, side by side, when we walk between that. And the significance was this. If either one of us breaks this, this covenant, this is what our results. We're going to be like this donkey. And that's what we would do. And that was the way that covenants were sealed, agreements were sealed in that day in Mesopotamia. God says this, okay, look at verse 9, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. What's interesting is, when you fast forward to Moses' law, all of these animals are animals that were used to sacrifice. God's foreshadowing even the next covenant he's about to make with mankind here. And he says, this is what I want you to do. He brought all these in verse 10, and, and then he cut them in half, and he laid each half over against the other. Okay, let's just be honest. There's a lot of bloody work to be done there. Okay, I know it's deer hunting season, and some of you, you hunter-gatherer types, you like to field dress your deer. This is even more work than field dressing a deer here, right? You're literally splitting the skull in two. You're going right along the backbone, and you're just laying everything out there in half. And it's not just one animal. It's this heifer, it's a goat, it's a ram, and those three things are divided. And then you have the turtle dove on one side, and you have the pigeon on the other, according to verse 10, because he doesn't cut the birds in half. And they're all laying there, and, and, and they're significant. They're signifying some things here. Notice, notice what's going on here. The, the, the heifer, the female goat, the turtle dove, and, and, the, and the ram, and the pigeon, they're all going to be standard sacrifices, but they, rep, they represent God's covenant people, don't they? They represent God's covenant people. Whenever those sacrifices were offered, they were offered on behalf of His people. And so here Abram is, and, 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 and he's preparing all these things, and he's laying them out, and then whatever, ha you know, you know this happens, you live in the country for the most part, most of you, whenever you have dead animals, what shows up? Birds of prey, the buzzards, the turkey vultures, they all show up, right? And so after Abram does all this hard work, and Abram is probably just, I'm just be honest with you, and real, he's covered in blood and guts, Right? And then he's out there, he's exhausted after doing this, and now he's beating off these birds that want to come. Well, the birds are representative too. They represent all of the world that's going to be coming after God's people. And here's Abram, he's, he's representing God's protection of his people. He's out there and he's knocking these birds away. And then God knows and knows Abram's heart and knows that Abram needs a sign. And so in verse 13, he starts to give the covenant details here. Verse 12, the sun's going down and a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Okay? This isn't just like normal darkness at night. This is, he, he, it's almost like darkness that in his dream he feels. Okay? 
you would go to sleep too if you had had to, to, to divide in half three animals and then keep them protected. You would be tired too. And so he falls asleep, and then God speaks to him in his sleep. Verse 13, then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain. Okay, you wanted your sign here, know for certain. Understand this, Abram. Your offspring will be sojourners in a land that will not be theirs. They will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. These are not the details that Abram was looking for. Can I just tell you this? And I'm not trying to be disrespectful. Be careful what you ask God for. Be careful what you ask for. You want a sign? Here's your sign. Your sign is this. You're going to get this thing, but it's going to come through a lot of hardship. Sometimes we're better off not knowing what we're going to have to go through. Are you, are you agreeing with me on that? Keeps going. But I'll bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. He's going to give the covenant details here, and he's going to answer all of the hard questions and all of the questions that every one of us wants to know. The first question is, is the how. How are they going to receive the land? And the short answer is, with a lot of struggle. With a lot of struggle. They're going to receive it 400 years later. And you say, well, if you really do the timeline out, it's 430 years, Pastor Dan. Is God allowed to round? Okay, is, is God allowed to round? Is he allowed to round his numbers, church? Yeah, he's speaking here in general terms. In 400 years, they're going to be there for 400 years. Did that come true, church, by the way? Did the children of Israel have to dwell and sojourn in the land of Egypt for 430 years? Yes, they did. And he's predicting that time when they will be in Egypt. But he's not only predicting that. He's predicting the exodus. Do you see that? He says, I'll bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You and I just think it's just amazing that whenever the children of Israel left Egypt, that the Egyptians, we're just thinking that the Egyptians were just like, take everything, just go, right? Exodus chapter 12 and verses 35 and 36 says this important detail, okay? You know, the movie Ten Commandments kind of ruined for us all with this. Okay, do you know what happened during this time? The children of Israel were told by God to go ask the Egyptians for stuff. Exodus 12 tells us that. They were told to go ask, and they literally went and asked, and the Egyptian people were like, yeah, just take it. Just take it. That's promised here in verse 14. You're going to come out with great possessions. Okay, church, you awake with me? Did, did that come true too? Did they leave with great possessions? Yeah, yeah, if you're going to have to spend 40 years in the wilderness and then and you're going to have to build yourself your own, your own tabernacle and stuff, are you going to need lots of gold to do that? You're going to need money to buy and sell and do stuff? Did God provide for his people? Yeah. And then he says this to Abram. Hm. You know what? The who of the covenant is this. Abram, I, you're not going to be the one to get the benefit of this. Do you see it there? As for you, verse 15, you're going to go to your fathers in peace. That's a nice way of saying, you're going to live a good long time and then you're going to die, Abram. 
but you're not going to be the one who receives this. In fact, it's going to take four generations. Now, think about life cycle and how long people live during this time. It's not uncommon for people to live well over 100 years, right? Four generations, four 100s it's going to take, and, and, and it's going to take 400 years before they come back. You're not going to get to have it, but your ancestors are. And then he gives the when and the why here. He says it's going to happen in generations, but the why. And this is something that we talk about a lot, but I want, to just, I want you to see it in Scripture here. Have you ever had tragic things happen to you and you, and you, and you had people say this to you? Who knows what God's up to, Right? You ever, you ever had somebody say that? We can't know the mind of God. We don't, we don't know why God's doing this, but, but we trust Him to do the right thing, right? We have an example of it right here in this text. Verse 16, they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. I want you to catch this. Sometimes I think we get so siloed in our world that we think that God is just our one personal God and He doesn't have to deal with the rest of the world. Do you ever get to thinking that way? Like, God, here's my problems, here's my life, why aren't you doing something about me? And yet God has a whole creation that He is masterfully running, is He not? And is not God big enough to take two totally unrelated groups of people and do something that accomplishes his purpose in both of their situations? Notice what it says here. The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. We think of the Israelites entering the promised land in only one way, and we think about it this way. It's all about the Israelites and getting the promised land, right? That's only part of the story. You know what the other part of the story is? God was judging all of those people in that country for their wickedness. He was judging them. And, and, and literally, when they went in, and, it, and it, when, you read, when you read the book of, of Joshua, does it not seem harsh when they go in in conquest? I mean, they are to literally wipe everyone out. Why? Because God only loves Israel? No, these people, it was their time of judging it was their time of judging. And God's saying this, the iniquity of the Amorites, in other words, God said this, they're not fully as bad as they're going to be, and whenever they are, then I'm going to send my people back, and they're going to be my instrument of justice with the Amorites. God will always accomplish His purposes. God even gives the where. If you go down to verse 18, He defines what the land will be. From the river of Egypt, which is not the Nile, it's probably a wadi, which is the other word of a small river or a creek that's between the Nile and the, and the southern border of Israel today. It's probably that creek right there. And I could give you the name, but you won't even know what it is. It's called the Wadi El Arish. It's probably from there all the way up to the Euphrates River, which if you look at a map of modern day Israel today, is Israel occupying all of its land? Not even close. Not even close. In fact, there was probably only one time that Israel occupied all of that land, and that was probably at the height of King David's rule, is when they occupied all of that. But it's com there's coming a day when they will occupy all of that. 
Mark it down. But I want to back up to verse 17 because I want, you, I want you to see the covenant ratified here. You see, the typical way a covenant was ratified in that day was the two parties making the covenant would walk between the animals, right? Abram's asleep, right? He, he's pretty much, he's out of it, okay? God's been speaking to him. And then verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between those pieces. Like, well, that's just weird, right? This, this fire pot, this, this fire pot, which would have been a small furnace. It would have been what they would have heated with. It would have been what they would have cooked with. And, and this torch go through the animals. They, they, they just mysteriously just go right through these animals. You say, what is going on here? Well, I'll tell you what I think is going on here. This is a theophany. This is a theophany. That's a, that's a really fancy word that, that you learn at a seminary or in a commentary somewhere. A theophany is really just God's presence manifested. And this is God himself coming down and going through these animals. Often, when God appears, his appearance is linked to fire. Often, think about Exodus 3, when Moses is being called and he goes up on the mountain. What, what attracts Moses' attention to go up on the mountain? It's a burning bush, right? It's fire, and it's not consuming the bush. Israel, when they come in Deuteronomy 4 and in Exodus chapter 19, when they come to Sinai, remember what, how Sinai is described? God comes down on Sinai, and how does he come down on it? Like a fire. It's like a fire. And then, in Exodus chapter 13, how does God lead His people to get them to Sinai? Pillar of fire, right? It's cloud during day and fire at night. And God, and God alone, passes between these divided animals. It's interesting. Abram had probably never seen anything like that, where just one party goes between the animals. And, and you say, what's so important about that? Well, there's a couple of words that are really important. Number one, this covenant is unilateral. God's making this covenant himself. In other words, God's not depending on man. He's not depending on Abram to keep his end of the bargain because here's what he knows. Abram can't. Abram won't. And so God, because he loves his people enough, he's making this covenant himself and he's guaranteeing it and it says this you know what? If I break this covenant, then, then I'm just as good as being severed. But here's what we know from the Word of God. Can God die? No. Not only is it unilateral, it's unconditional. It's unconditional. There's no conditions put on Abram in this covenant. God's saying this, you know, Abram, you, you can be as bad as you want. You can be as evil as you want. You can be as rebellious as you want. I am going to keep my covenant with you. And that gives me great hope for today. You say, why does that give you great hope for today? Because you know what? I can't keep a covenant with God and neither can you. We can't do it. And you say, well, that was a covenant with Abram. How does that apply to us today? I'm so glad you asked. Turn to Galatians chapter 3. I appreciate the question this morning. Galatians chapter 3. 
You say, this has nothing to do with us. This is a promise made with Abram, and it's for the Jews and the Jews only. Au contraire. Paul, writing under inspiration, the Holy Spirit, who authored Genesis, who authored Galatians as well, says this in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 29, if you are Christ's, then you are whose offspring? What's your Bible say, church? You want to sing Father Abraham and many sons? Want to do it? We're not going to do it. Closing song, Pastor Andy, Father Abraham and many sons? No, 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 okay. Catch the verse. If you are Christ, and who made you Christ, church? Did you make yourself Christ or did Christ make you his? Yeah, you're bought with a price. If you're Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, your heirs according to the promise. Guess what? Genesis chapter 15 applies not just to Isaac and Jacob and all who come after that. It applies to the Christians in the church in Johnstown in 2022. That covenant is ours too. This is, this is for us. In other words, there's a land for us. Selfishly, I'm hoping my land is in the island somewhere. A man can hope, right? There's a land for us. And here's the thing. God made a promise that, that if he doesn't keep, then he's cursed. And God cannot be cursed. In fact, go back earlier into Galatians chapter 3. I want you to see something. Look at verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. <laughs> you know, there's this other covenant that God's going to establish and he has established called a new covenant. I talked about it last week, right? And in the new covenant, God becomes man and in Christ, and Christ takes the curse on himself so that you and I don't have to be cursed. Paul in 2 Corinthians writes it this way, he made him, God made Jesus, pronouns are hard sometimes, right? God made Jesus, he made him to be sin for us. I understand the us part, that's me, right? Who knew, he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Glory to God. Grace upon grace. Amen? That's how we can inherit what God says we inherit in Galatians 3.29. That's what it means to be of Christ. If you are Christ, it means that Christ hung on the tree for you, that he hung on the cross for you, that he became the curse for you. Because you know what? If it was up to us to keep the covenant, if we had to walk through that thing with God, every one of us would be split in two and filleted right now. Am I right? Guess what? Jesus went through and he took our sins through that curse with him and they were judged. Christ became the, the curse for us. And here's the thing. 
God's covenant with us is just as unilateral as this covenant is. Because if it's up to us to keep it, we can't. If you here are here this morning and mistakenly believe that you have to somehow work to keep your salvation, you're as good as filleted. And I don't mean that to be condemning of you. And what I'm saying to you is you need a better salvation. Because the salvation you're trying to work on is going to get you cut in two. I like the words of the old song, the hymn, Jesus Paid It All. All to him I owe. Not only is that covenant unilateral, but that covenant is eternal because God can't be a liar. He has to keep his word for all of eternity. And it's a covenant of grace because it's just like the, Abram, the covenant that God made with Abram in Genesis 15. Church, did, did, did Abram deserve that covenant? Did he, did he deserve the covenant? Was there anything special about Abram when God saw him in Ur and was like, hey, I'm looking over all of creation here and Abram's my guy because he stands out above everybody else? No. No. Abram was a dirty, rotten scoundrel just like every single one of us. And God called him. And God gave him righteousness just like he gives you and I righteousness when we're all dirty, rotten scoundrels that don't deserve it. And if you think you deserve it, you are sorely mistaken. If you think you can earn it, you are sorely mistaken. You can't. And that's good news. Because if we can earn it, then that makes that a bilateral covenant, which means that we have to keep our end of the bargain, which we can't. This is a unilateral covenant, which means that ultimately our security does not rest in ourselves. It rests in Almighty God who is keeping the covenant minute after minute, hour after hour, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, eon after eon, God is going to keep his covenant. Another old hymn, my hope is built on nothing less than what? Christ's blood and righteousness, not my own. <laughs> not my own. And so, the next time that you come to Genesis chapter 15 in your Bible, just remember this. Yeah, that's really cool that God made a covenant with Abram, but, but if I am in Christ, that's my covenant too. That's my covenant too. That's, that's God wants to have something between he and I. This betweenness, God has made a promise that, that I am going to be one of those stars in the sky. I'm going to be one of those sands on the seashore. I'm going to be one of the ones that's going to inherit the land. If you're not in Christ, could I beg of you today? Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. Don't put this off. This is the redemption story that begins in the book of Genesis and goes all the way through scriptures and ends in the book of Revelation. And that land that he's preparing, Jesus hinted at it when he said this in, in John chapter 14, I'm going to prepare a place for you. How cool is that going to be? I mean, I mean, honestly, who wouldn't want to live in a place that Jesus is preparing for them? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. That's the promise.
that's going to be better than living on some island somewhere, isn't it? I want to be able to live with Jesus. I could live in the North Pole with Jesus, man. I could live in Gary, Indiana with Jesus if I had to. If you're from Gary, I'm sorry, I apologize. I don't know, I could even live in Alabama or that state that's north of ours if I'm doing it with Jesus. Father, it is just incredible that you would make a covenant with us. We don't deserve it. We deserve death. We deserve eternal banishment away from you. We, we deserve nothing good because we're all willfully sinful. We're all horribly broken. We're all beyond hope, but, but because you love us, you've chosen to enter into covenant with us through what Jesus has accomplished. I'm so thankful that we have the ability to be in Christ. Because apart from Christ, none of this is true. And so, Jesus, we, we again have to just thank you for your sacrifice for us. You took the wrath of God in our place so that we can be inheritors of this covenant. And we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.